It is Friday, April 26th. I'm Jay Severin. This is a special weekend edition. You know, what makes it special, you're asking? I think it means maybe longer than usual, which surprises me because I, I don't recall ever seeing anything like this before. Anyway, special weekend This is Invasion of the Giant Pod Pundit number 28, unready for prime time. Excelsior. of the giant pod pundit with jay severin 48 hours ago <laughs> 48 hours ago i here presented to you my firm strong impression as to how obama butt boy and former vice president old white joe old white joe biden would could instantly change the democrats national agenda the democrat primary race for president you know, dragging it back from the distant left along with the 19 mostly ridiculous dwarfs who are the messengers of the far, far left, saving them from themselves. One most significant effect of which it is hoped by some secret, still secret Democrats, that will form at least a picture of a more moderate agenda Brought to you by a more moderate candidate, old white Joe, old white Joe Biden. And thereby providing a comfortable 2020 election landing spot for those millions of Democrats whose idea of progress isn't progressive. Their idea of progress, where they want America to go and have someone who they believe can take them there, for most Democrats across this country, if you're not on the East Coast, the big cities in the East Coast and the West Coast, Democrats, <laughs> they, they're not, progressives, they're not. They, like their counterparts among independents and Republicans, demonstrably want, passionately want action on illegal immigration. They want the effing wall. Democrats. They want action on crime, on taxes, not the Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez agenda of the young wild lefties and the minorities, frankly. Their agenda is more illegals, open borders, higher crime and taxes, not to mention race reparations and the vote for felons. Oh, and... uh, green cow farts or some such twaddle. And come 2020, if the Democrat message and image is an angry, trans, black, brown, yellow, red, man-woman or woman-man or gay or angry or trans, trans-gay, person of color or colors, if that is the Democrat mascot next year, Donald Trump will win one of the biggest landslides, perhaps the biggest, in American history, period, with Democrats almost surely losing the Senate and the House where Nancy Pelosi lives. As we discussed only two days ago, the most powerful forces in the Democrat Party are scrambling frantically behind the scenes 
to diminish and undermine, read, yank off the stage, their young, wild, radical candidates, 19 of them. So the field will be more open to old, traditional, moderate Joe Biden and thus suppress the OAC wing, saving Congress for Nancy, if nothing else. Well, that was my theory. That was the plan. But hell, that was two whole days ago. I'm reminded of the quote, is it from Alice through the looking glass? My, but people come and go so quickly here. Because this all was predicated, all of my theory was predicated almost entirely on the assumption of a, you know, strong, smooth launch of the Biden campaign. But that's not being naive. He's only been at this for 40 years. This is only his third time around running for president. So as I look or looked anyway at the landscape, I said, all right, he doesn't have to reinvent the light bulb. He just has to go out there and, and uh, they'll put together some, you know, some tomato can events that he can knock them down and use a few talking points and just get out there and have a nice smooth launch of a campaign. Just try not to hurt yourself. Rarely. I mean, my life has been spent in politics and media. I am, if you didn't know this, um, if I didn't mention it before, the founding president uh, of my fifth grade civics club and its newspaper. And uh, blessed with geekiness ever since. I've uh, run or helped run, advised candidates for major office, Congress, Senate, governor, president, Prime Minister, et cetera, in, um, I guess, probably 35 states in America, way more than 100 campaigns, and in five or six foreign countries. And as I look at this, I hesitated today to write this piece, you know, to record this piece, because it could well be that, that despite this horrible beginning that Biden will get his footing, his footings and, um, and be okay, at least for a little while, I don't know. But I am really, I'm really stunned at what I've seen in the last 48 hours. I don't recall ever seeing anything like it before. So uh, my predication, my predicate was, you know, at uh, least no, no mistakes uh, launch of the Biden campaign. Rarely has a national campaign of either party opened to such dismal reviews and deserved, deservedly dismal. Were it a Broadway show, the final performance would be tonight. No, wait, if it were a Broadway show, the final performance would have been last night. How, for the love of the sweet infant Jesus, could any, any impression, good or bad, form so bloody quickly? Well, having closely observed and consumed virtually every minute of Biden campaign coverage in its first 48 hours, I submit to you, I mean, what, what else do you watch for its first 48 hours and say, it's, it's great, but especially uh, it's, it's, it's toast, it's done. I, if this were a movie, it would be Godfather 3, or no, wait, Heaven's Gate, before I date myself further. All right, I submit to you, 
dear citizen. Oh, and if you're not a citizen, by the way, would you leave your address with my office? Would you? There's a good fellow. Or as I know you say south of the border, bueno dudo. Anyway, I herewith submit to you the lowlights of the first two days of the 2020 uh, campaign. And I will probably repeat that this is the third, I have to have a sip of water here, best water in the world, Fiji. Mm-mm. Fiji actually tastes, if you refrigerate it, even if you don't, perhaps, but refrigerated to the uh, proper range of temperature, Fiji actually tastes like something. Fiji tastes like something. So not everyone likes it. I don't know anyone who doesn't, but I'm sure there, naturally there are people. It's more expensive than the other waters. Um, and um, Poland Spring in my neck of the woods is, is very popular. Um, being up in the woods of New England here. But I think the taste, it, it, it t- tastes like ass. I just, it, it, I know when I, if I didn't have a label on it, I'd know it was not Fiji. And I would certainly know if it were Poland Spring. Tastes like ass. Uh, the difference with the taste, they say, are that, is it alkaloids they may add or not add? And it's also how the water, where it comes from. Uh, Poland Spring has claimed for 150 years that it comes from a real country spring in Maine. And about a month ago, it was revealed that, uh, I don't know, it was an indictment or an accusation or an investigation, but the charge is that after investigation, a Poland spring, uh, there is no Poland, there is no spring. That it's like regular water taken from wherever, like the city takes its water and, you know, run through a filter or something. I, I don't know. Uh, Dizani, you could, if you, I, I spit Dizani out even when someone mentions it and I'm not drinking it. All right, there, there, there's my sidebar on uh, Fiji water. Um, third time is a big deal. When these guys prepare to run for president for the first time, imagine how much talent you have to have for people to decide, all right, I'm going to hook up with you because we, you can do this. This is the third time this guy's doing this. Now, that will become more important as this broadcast goes on. But remember, he's done this three times. The Biden presidential campaign <clears throat> uh, deserves this question. Do the various elements I'm about to share with you strike you I, I I know you may not be a political consultant. It doesn't matter. You're here. If you're here, you're smart. If you're here, in fact, you're wicked smart. So I ask you, butcher, baker, candlestick maker, does it strike you in your gut that the following are the signs of a winning campaign, a strong, solid campaign, you know, that, that will will appeal to middle-of-the-road voters, a campaign that is effective and attractive. So consider, day one, Biden blows day one. Biden blows day one campaign launch when he picks Charlottesville 
Do you remember Charlottesville where they had the riots between the, uh, I don't know, the people of the left there, civil rights groups, and the uh, whack job, uh, the whack job, I don't know what they call themselves. Maybe they were Klan. I don't know. I don't know what they are. Um, (laughs) Biden picked Charlottesville as his race location. You know, there was no mistake there. He picked Charlottesville because he planned that his very first words as a presidential candidate for the third time would be to attack Trump and probably you and me for things we're guilty of that have to do with race. Because if you go to Charlottesville for your open, you can't go there and talk about the Stanley Cup playoffs. Though I would like to because the Bruins are still in it to win it. No, you you pick Charlottesville, you pick it for a reason. That's a that's a bullet. You pick Charlottesville as a race location. That tells everybody what you're going to say in your opening presidential speech. You're going to attack the other side as racists and you as morally good. Well, there was a little problem with Charlottesville. One is had he done it would it have been good judgment? Would that show you what would that say about a campaign who picked as its first, very first location a hate location where you can uh, you're guaranteed to attack the other Americans who don't agree with you, including the president of the United States, with racism? I would say that's bad judgment, but um, you're making the call here. Oh, and Biden campaign? Never contacted anybody in Charlottesville. I have never heard of anything like this. I mean, all I do is live out of suitcases for, you know, 30 years almost and do campaigns all over the world. I have never heard of a boner like this before. Biden said Charlottesville, and apparently he figured that people heard him, people in his campaign staff, and they were going to take care of it. They never talked about it again. And when Biden started asking logistical questions about travel to Charlottesville, somebody said, well, what are you talking about, sir? Nobody in Biden's camp ever contacted Charlottesville, who, when they discovered Biden's plan, publicly stood up in a press conference. These were black ministers. They stood up at Charlotte press conference and told Biden not to come. I've never seen anything like that before. Biden stunned, uh, planned instead. He he fumbled around, said, okay, I'm going to hold a giant rally in Pittsburgh. I'm going to say it. Again, the campaign notified and contacted nobody in Pittsburgh. Plans for that rally are, as of this writing, unsure. Item. Biden campaign blows day one video announcement. Again, what does this say? What does this signify about a campaign? They never called anybody in the city where they were going to have this big protest launch. And then they don't call anybody in Pittsburgh, their next city. And then they wait till the last minute to do a video. It's the announcement of the campaign. Again, substantively speaking, I would question uh, the wisdom of that kind of launch on a video, especially when it's going to be won by a guy that looks, you know, 125 years old. 
So it's not what I would have done with my candidate, but you're making the call. A Biden advisor convinced the candidate when they all looked at it, it was like 24 hours until it hit the air. They looked at it, and this is true with clients. They don't know what they're seeing. You know, I, I, tr- I tried for 30 years to figure out a polite way to say to my clients, look, there is a matter of trust here. You must trust me. I'll tell you why. The TV commercial you just viewed, we're going to watch it 10 more times here, but you're not going to know any more about it than you did five minutes ago because it's not what you do. It's what I do. The words were chosen. The script took days and days and days to write a 30-second script. It's a work of art. So is the video and the editing and everything else. It's a little movie. It's a 30-second movie. And, you know, if you knew what, if you knew what made it good or bad, you wouldn't need me. You know, I'm going to cost you half a million dollars before this is over. You don't need me if you know what a good commercial is. Go make it. God bless you. But they don't know, and they know they don't know, which makes for a certain kind of holistic balance. In any case, Biden had no strong opinion because he doesn't know what the hell is going on. And um, after 40 years, third time around in the presidential race, a Biden advisor convinced him, took him aside and said, this, this video uh, sucks dead moose and you can't use it. So they went out and got somebody else that somebody knew and less than 24 hours before it hit the air, they, they did a new, a brand new, completely different uh, video hours before it went to air. And by the way, It looked like it. It was bad. It was amateur home video circa 1970. Bad. That bad. Biden day one media coverage, universally bad. I could could have said Biden blows day one media coverage, but since I I used that expression a few times uh, above, uh, you know, I could maybe just start saying Biden blows. Because he does, and I'm shocked that I'm saying that again after two days. Anyway, day one media coverage, universally bad. Media wondered openly if the Biden campaign was ready. This is a code word for the guy may not be all there. Because what you say, if you like the guy, if he's a Democrat, the media is going to phrase it thusly. I mean, are the, is, is the Biden organization ready for this? And what they're really saying is, is this guy, does this guy have his marbles? Um, item, Biden's openly hoped for, and I have to uh, forge, sorry, I have to, uh, well, that's, that's right. I have to forge a sidebar here. One of, because I, I hope you'll look for it. One of Biden's two biggest uh, handicaps are two of the things he thinks he's really good at, and he's not. Uh, Biden has a big mouth, which is rarely, rarely closed. And when I say Biden's openly hoped for day one endorsement by Barack Obama, the only reason the media knew about that, quote unquote, and asked him about it 
was because Biden, again, who thinks he's a political strategist, Biden leaked it. Just wait. Wait do you see? Wait do you see? What do you do? Just between you and me, pal. Wait do you see what we have on opening day? We're going to have a, a, an endorsement, maybe even a video endorsement from Barack. Yeah. So everyone in the media knew that within 10 minutes. And Biden created the expectation by leaking it himself. And the endorsement never came. Obama said nothing about Biden. Nothing. Biden was left to twist in the wind and obviously make up. And this is the other thing he does. Biden makes stuff up. He has a talking point or two on something. But when he runs out of that, unless he's being controlled by his press secretary, if he's with a group of people, if he's in an informal setting, if it's a press conference where people could shout out questions, he's done. He's lost. He, and he makes stuff up to fill the time. It's some kind of compulsion. I'm not kidding you. I mean, he's bringing the idiot to idiot savant. So the Obama thing never came, and the only reason it embarrassed him was because Joe himself leaked it. And then it was embarrassing because it didn't show up. And so, obviously, he made up the following. I mean, this is one of the whoppers, the greatest whoppers of recent politics. He said to the media, no, 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 no. I asked Barack not to endorse me now. Yeah, no, no, I asked Barack not to endorse me now. He was going to, but I asked him not to because, you know, I want to be fair. I want everyone, everyone should have to earn it. (laughs) Nobody believes him. National media covering him openly smirked when reporting the missing Obama endorsement. Obama that day will be endorsed by two Democrat senators where he spent 40 years in the Senate. Two senators. Media does not name them. Item, national media interview. Biden brings up Charlottesville. Short sidebar. Let it go, baby. Let it go. After the the humiliation of Charlottesville where they said, don't come here. And the fact that he didn't even organize it, he couldn't have come there. But especially when they told him, stay out. And then in a network interview uh, the next day, Biden brings up Charlottesville. Why would you ever do that? Let it go, man. I mean, this is a really dumb rookie mistake, an unforced error, and compounds it 100-fold by saying the Charlottesville thing is not over. He compounds it by saying he picked Charlottesville because, quote, I knew the moment I saw it, it was the greatest threat to the United States security in my lifetime. Again, Joe Biden said, the minute I saw Charlottesville and the awful things that happened there and that were said there, I knew that it was the greatest threat to American security in my lifetime. Really? Hey, Joe, Joe, wake up. Joe, in terms of the greatest threats to American security since the mid-20th century, when you were born, where do you place World War II? What about the Russian acquisition of the atom bomb? How about the Korean War? No, so you're going to still go with white nationalism, right? Okay. What about the Cuban Missile Crisis? How about the Berlin Wall? What about the Vietnam War? 
You're going to stick with white nationalism, white nationalists. You sure you want to get a lifeline here? What about the invasion of Iraq? What about the longest war in American history in our 17th year in Afghanistan? And I seem to be... Oh, yeah. How about the September 11th attack by bin Laden and Al-Qaeda and the growth of ISIS? No. Candidate Biden picks white nationalism in the form of perhaps 30 whack jobs, rioters in Charlottesville. And, of course, subscribes to the meme that one of our greatest threats is the Klan, uh, of whom, which doesn't exist anymore. The Ku Klux Klan is about uh, 11 fat white men um, in the Deep South that don't have, uh, don't have web, where they don't have the internet where they are, and uh, dress up in their pajamas and run around in the woods. I mean, you're really, you're really kidding me, right? I mean, I regard the Congressional Black Caucus in terms of policy and patriotism. I mean, I could name you 10 groups that are supposedly civil rights groups that are, I, I won't even embarrass everybody by saying a far greater threat, threat than the Klan. They're one of the, the, one of the great threats to the Constitution of the United States because they don't believe in it. Well, I didn't mean to sidebar there, but I couldn't resist. Okay. Biden's going to stick with white nationalism as the greatest threat to America in his lifetime. National media coverage? Well, they were kind to him on this one, naturally. Item, Biden asked his strength, issues the Nancy Pelosi mantra, electable, he says. That says Biden, I am electable. Hours later, and by the way, it's a very good answer. I mean, not everyone would say that. The people who are unelectable are going to have a line for you saying, well, I'm plowing new grounds, reaching out to trans, black, uh, left-handed, trans, red people. Um, uh, Joe Biden says, I'm electable. This is a very good answer. I mean, if really, if you think about it, it's the only correct answer, Right? And, of course, that's that's the nub of it. That's what the whole Biden effect is. That's why Biden exists as a candidate, to try and move the party back to the center because they're on a cliff right now. So he says, I'm electable. Hours later, left-wing commentators, national media, complain that Biden is employing code words that are racist and sexist. What are the code words? Electable. I'm telling you the truth. Code word, electable. And another really dastardly one, I can bring the country together. Yeah, these are code words designed as, quote, an underhanded way to discount black and female candidates. See, this way, if you make electable the coin of the realm, then you can dismiss all the far-left candidates who, by definition, pretty much are of color or are women or are trans something, okay? Uh, So all of the left-wing candidates get knocked out of this thing if you say electable. Of course, if you don't make electability the coin of the realm, you don't get elected! 
anyway, just beware now uh, because you don't want to discard uh, black and female and women and men and trans, gay, yellow, red, trans candidates. And you discard them when you use those hate racist code words like electable or bringing the country together. <laughs> you can't make this shit up. Oh, pardon me. Um, to this, Biden has no response. Biden item. Biden has shockingly, to some national commentators, raised virtually no campaign funds. I checked this out with someone. They tell me it's true. He hasn't raised any money. Despite having been weighing a run for years, one national media outlet broadcasts a package about the Democrat candidate and his money, comparing Biden to the other Democrats. Reporting Biden is first in the national polls in, 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 in votes, in support, but last in fundraising, last in 20th in fundraising. The report ends with this. Joe Biden has no time for small donations. He needs money, big money, and he needs it now, which is why he is planning a series of big money events, even though thought to be decidedly unpopular with younger and progressive voters of his party. And then this, the closing line of the package. Joe Biden must raise $100,000 every single day between now and next Christmas to have as much money as Bernie Sanders has in the bank right now. Joe Biden will have to raise $100,000 every day, every single day, seven days a week, until next Christmas. And if he does that, he'll have as much as Bernie has now. Item, 48 hours into the Biden campaign, there are evidently no other major endorsements. But... Olivia, uh, uh, Alexander, no, uh, yeah, Alexandria, Olivia, I can't, OAC does tell national media, quote, Joe Biden is our nominee, does not animate me. Sidebar, I would like to know what does animate OAC, but that's a different story. Um, Friday morning, this morning, Biden hires a CNN commentator as, as his senior advisor, an African-American woman who, within minutes of her hiring, Uh, Simone Sanders is reported to say, quote, I don't want white people running this party, end quote. This is genius if you're trying to appeal to the traditional base of the Democrat Party. I don't want white people running my party. And certainly, certainly not finally, only the most recent. That is, as of Friday afternoon, the already legendary Biden performance on that flaming anti-American dumpster fire of imbecility, The View. Joe Biden looked frail and debated quite feebly. If you have a chance, look at it. Everybody, everybody, everybody is showing it, so you'll see it. You can, of course, YouTube it. He doesn't look like a well man. And that matters on television a lot, you know? Confronted with um, essentially charges redolent of racism and sexism, the view morons uh, dragged up Biden's chairmanship of the Senate Judiciary Committee 25, no, 30 years ago when Anita Hill uh, was at the hearing for Judge Clarence Thomas. And damn it, the view was going to find out why Biden didn't help her 30 years ago. It was excruciating. 
Biden stumbled and fumbled. He was wrestling with virtually every syllable like it was not his native language, at times bordering on incoherence. And of course, as will always happen, uh, Ibid, Ibid above, as will always happen with Joe, who fancies himself a man of rapier-like wit, but who in fact more resembles the character uh, from being there, Chauncey Gardner. In any case, when caught in a live group or conversation or you know, other unscripted moments, as I mentioned, Biden is a boner factory that never closes. I mean, once Biden has repeated his few stock talking points, he becomes an unstable, off-the-cuff, off-the-road version of Sling Blade, uh, making a fumbling performance worse by crashing and burning because he's determined to make some kind of point, even though he's got nothing in his mind. That happened this morning. Again, he makes up the... He go, he, he trails off. And then he goes, yeah, and then there's this. And he like tells some kind of hideous joke or something. He just He's terrible at the thing he thinks he's good at. And it, it's, it's not, not helping you, Joe. So again, usually... It means the production of some mortifying whopper uh, that regular people would call a lie. Perhaps the very worst moment, other than the sneering media reviews that followed, was when Biden was struggling mightily this morning on The View to explain how his inappropriate touching problem is is just uh, affection. But I know it's an invasion. It's an invasion of that person's space. And... His space is invasion. It's my fault. And I'm invading her space. And I need to know the invading that I, Joe, affection, space invade. And he went full Joe Biden space invaders before they finally, like, tried to help him out, get him to shut up. It was that moment of cross-examination uh, of Captain Queeg in the in the Kane mutiny where he cracks under the pressure of his inability to communicate. Now it is Friday, a full 24 hours, which I think is the length of this podcast. Um, I don't know, you know, you guys tell me you like like it longer. So um, uh, who says size doesn't matter? Now it's Friday, a full 24 hours. Think of it, 24 hours later, in which Joe Biden has had the worst start of a campaign I have seen in 30 years in this business. He had the worst Thursday the worst one day you could ever have in the sports of politics. And nearly all the wounds, you know, the ones that are going to leave a mark, have been totally self-inflicted. Will anybody write off these brutal gaffes? Biden's, uh, you know, downfall all his life is that he's a gaff machine. And in the first 48 hours, he's done... Another four or five that are there for the record books. Terrible gaffes. Who's going to write these off after, you know, know, who's going to write these off as a rookie mistake when it's a 78-year-old rookie playing in the league for the third time? Okay, the morale of my story, my rap is, I said on Wednesday, Biden changes everything. I admit to greatly underestimating Biden's ineptitude. Joe Biden may yet change everything by illustrating the death of the Democrat Party as you, your parents, your grandparents, 
Your great-grandparents knew it. This may be the end. It's happened at least once before in American history. See Whigs. See Republicans. This is, you know, this Democrat Party is not the Democrat Party. Well, we don't know that yet, but that's that's what Biden may yet prove out. Joe Biden must perform an impressive redo. His only choice, my advice to him, unsolicited but very valuable, Joe, is get get together, disappear for a few days, and pull a couple all-nighters, uh, which for you I know would be only 16 hours of sleep. Pull a couple all-nighters and perform an impressive redo, take two, turnaround, relaunch of this disastrous two days in political hell, or someone must tell him to get out, both because his opponents will hurt him, he's not ready to go into this boxing match, someone tell him to get out, his opponents will hurt him, but you know what, he'll probably suffer most from the self-inflicted wounds that will kill him. Invasion of the Giant Pod Pundit is produced by at Stacy Rippey, one team Matt Rance and Baby New Leaf 96, and presented by me, Jay Severin. Thank you for your time. See you and hear you on Twitter during the weekend. See you again here on Monday. Excelsior.